Welcome to the Together for Good podcast, a podcast specifically designed to inspire, challenge, and uplift you during your daily walk of faith. Friends, it's the season of Lent, and so for this Lenten season, we have a new series to unveil all Lent long here at Bethany Lutheran Church. We're talking about a change in perspective and looking at that in different ways. And so the podcast for the next several weeks will be a series of Bible studies, a series of Bible stories that I'm guessing will be really familiar to you. But each person who comes on, whether it's me, intern Rita, Pastor Gary, we're going to be trying to look at those familiar stories in a different way to give you another perspective on how to understand what God is doing, what God is calling us to within these sacred stories. Today, I'm hopping on and I'm going to lead you through a study of the Good Samaritan. I really hope you enjoy it. As always, thanks for listening to this podcast. Thanks for sharing it with family and friends. If you feel free to pass this episode along, especially during Lent when people might be looking for additional devotional resources, the podcast is a great resource that people can access anywhere. They don't need to be a member of Bethany. They can access this uh, from all corners of the world. And we appreciate our many international uh, and people around the world who do uh, listen in on this podcast. But now, uh, here it is, a Bible study about the Good Samaritan from a different perspective. Today, I have a Bible story that I'm guessing you've heard of before. Today, we're looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan. This can be found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel. I'm going to be specifically looking at Luke's version, which is in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. So I'm just going to take this and read it to you one verse at a time and then give you some commentary. Are you ready? Let's buckle up. Here we go. Starting at verse 25. An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, so we're told right at the start that the person who asks a question is an expert in the law. Other translations have a lawyer here. Um, Use the word lawyer here. In those days, particularly where Jesus was living, there was no difference between civil laws and religious laws. They overlapped. No separation of church and state, as we might say today. So this lawyer is simply someone who has studied the laws of Moses, someone who is well-versed in what the scriptures say. And, And as you'll see, I'll point this out in a second, when the lawyer talks, he often quotes from scripture, kind of illustrating just how well he knows the law. And notice what he specifically asks uh, Jesus is, what must I do? Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What an interesting question. And maybe, frankly, a question that we often ask ourselves, what do I need to do to get into heaven? Uh, Is certainly something that I've heard people ask me in confirmation classes and adult Bible studies in the past. Well, let's find out kind of where this goes from here. I should pause an interesting little point about this. The specific thing that the lawyer is asking is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so that's slightly different than maybe the question I've heard in Sunday school class where people are like, what do I have to do to get into heaven? Um, there's a, the, the inheriting of eternal life is actually really calling upon a specific uh, piece of Jewish scripture, part of the law that this lawyer certainly would have known about, that appears in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. So I'm just going to read that for you now. You don't, if you have your Bible in front of you, you don't need to open it. Um, but here, here's what it says in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. 
I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is a very important moment in the uh, history of the Jewish people. This is when Abram is called by God and promised to become a great nation, which is eventually the nation of Israel. And so when people talk about inheriting eternal life in this Jewish context, that's what they're speaking about. They're speaking about that moment in Genesis 12 when God calls Abram and promises him a great nation, right? It's not an eternal life in the way we think about it, which is like, oh, I'll go to heaven when I die. It's more of a life that is expansive and, and extending beyond Abram's life. He's promised a great nation that, that he will, that his ancestors will become something far greater than even what he was during this individual life. So that's what eternal life means. It means life in God's kingdom, life in the promised age to come that was spoken about originally in Genesis chapter 12. Whew, okay, as I always said. <laughs> Isn't the Bible fun? That was one verse that we looked at. Let's let's continue on to verse 26 before this becomes a three-hour podcast. Jesus said to the lawyer, what is written in the law? What do you read there? Okay, so Jesus, and this is always the case, Jesus doesn't give the man an answer. He asks him a question. It's the Socratic method. Oh my gosh. (laughs) This is also... Uh, Because Jesus knows that the question the man asks is hotly debated. He says to him, what do you read there? uh, If you're reading from an NIV Bible, the translation is, how do you read it? So Jesus is now asking him an interpretive question. He's like, okay, he knows that this is a hotly debated topic, that there's differing schools of thought about how, what one must do to inherit eternal life. And so Jesus, knowing that this man is a lawyer, that he has studied the laws through and through, asks him to, to give his interpretation of the law. Tell me what you think you're supposed to do. So let's find out how the lawyer answers. In verse 27, The lawyer answered, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and you should love your neighbors as yourself. And so here is where the lawyer is quoting from scripture. He's quoting quoting two passages from the books of Moses. Uh, He's looking at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, and he's combined those two into one succinct statement. He knows his law. He knows what the scriptures say. And so that's the answer that he gives to Jesus. It's important to note um, how holistic and how, 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 how holistic our commitment and connection to God is. God is the God of our mind, soul, strength, and heart. No part of ourself is withheld from God. That's part of that statement from Deuteronomy 6 that the lawyer gives. And then there's the additional piece of the neighbor as yourself. Um, that comes from the Leviticus part of it. So it's it's making sure that we give all of ourself to God, that no part of ourself is withheld from God, but so that in turn, we can properly love and serve our neighbor. And notice too, in the answer that the lawyer gives, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is often thought of as two commandments, love God and love your neighbor. But in fact, this is actually three commandments. Love God, love your neighbor, and love yourself. 
You can't love your neighbor as yourself if you don't have love for yourself first. And many, many people will tell you, many good um, mental health professionals will, will ex talk about the importance of caring for yourself first and foremost. Um, proper self-care is, I'm, I'm happy to see the ways that that's becoming in vogue in our society, that people are recognizing that we can't just constantly be serving the other, constantly working ourselves ragged, but there needs to be time to refuel and recharge, time to really show ourselves self-care. And, and yeah, time to love ourselves too, in the sense of not just always thinking that we have something to prove, that we have guilt to overcome, that we have shame to get rid of, but recognizing that we are enough as we are, uh, and yet God calls us to be even more uh, after we first recognize that we're loved just as we are. So that's just a little side rant, but a really important one uh, that I think we need to hear and come back to, to recognize again and again. Let's continue on with our biblical text, though. We haven't even gotten to the parable. 10 minutes in and no parable to speak of. Don't worry, it's coming. And so Jesus said to the lawyer, you've given the right answer. Do this and you will live. Oh, I love the way Jesus talks here. He says, do this and you will live. He's telling the lawyer that it's not just about knowing the right answer, but you also must live out these commandments and these actions. Remember, the lawyer's original question is, what must I do? And what Jesus is kind of trying to point him to is it's more than just about studying the law and knowing the answers, Mr. Lawyer, sir. You also have to do this. You have to love God fully and love your neighbor as yourself. So this is all the preamble. This is all the context for us then moving into the story, the parable that Jesus will tell. The law expert, this lawyer, knows all the rules. He knows what he must do. Jesus even says, you've answered correctly. But then what Jesus is doing is he's saying, like, but you need to actually live this out. It's not enough to just know the right answers. It's really interesting. We're about to get into the Good, Good Samaritan parable. And this is often a parable that's held up of just like, this is a story of like, you just got to be a good person, you know? And we name counseling centers, Good Samaritan Counseling Center, Good Samaritan Hospital. And it's just this idea, it's in our common vernacular. Oh, they're such a good Samaritan, just kind of doing the right thing when no one's looking. And, and that's a part of what this parable is about, certainly. But again, look at this context. Really what this parable, why this parable was told, was to try and help the lawyer and anyone else at that time understand that just knowing the right answers isn't enough. That we also have to, that we have to live out the beliefs that we espouse. As the old saying goes, actions speak louder than words. That's exactly what this is about. And you're going to see why in a second. So let's, I know we finally made it. Here it comes, the parable, starting at verse 29. But wanting to vindicate himself, the lawyer asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So the lawyer doesn't like the response that Jesus has given because the lawyer loves all the rules. He doesn't want to hear that he has to do this and live. And so he's trying to, you know, trap Jesus. And we're told, right, way back in verse 25, he stood up to test Jesus. And so, right, who is my neighbor then? What does this even mean? You true love your neighbor as yourself. Who, who's my neighbor? What are you talking about, Jesus? So he's, again, Socratic method. Question becomes a question becomes a question. And so Jesus is now going to give an answer. I just want to note, part of the reason that the lawyer is being uh, so grumpy as all of this is because he's only trying to test Jesus and he's only trying to justify himself. He really wants to know 
that what he's doing right now is right. He just kind of wants to hear that he's been affirmed, um, you know, that, that he's doing the right thing. And so this is, yeah, what needs to do right, right there in 29. He wanted to vindicate himself or justify himself. He wanted to just make sure like, oh, like I got this covered. Don't tell me what to do, Jesus. So let's see how Jesus replies. Verse 30. Jesus replied by telling a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and took off, leaving him half dead. So the main character in the story is a certain man. There's no particular defining characteristic. So what Jesus is doing here is a really clever storytelling technique. Whoever hears the parable can now imagine themselves in this position. This is a very common feature of Jesus' parables, particularly in Luke's gospel. One more little detail. This, per, this nondescript man going from Jerusalem to Jericho, this was a common road. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a, tra- a road that people did have to travel often, but it also was notoriously dangerous. This is some cool details for you. It descended 3,300 feet in 17 miles. So really either steep or depending on which way you're going. And there were many narrow passages and points along the way where bandits could easily hide to them jump out and harm travelers. So this is all calling to mind. People would know like, oh, that road. Oh, gosh. Okay, not surprising. He was yeah beaten and left on the road half dead. This was a common occurrence. Moving on to verse 31. Now, by chance, and when he saw this man, he passed by on the other side. Interesting. So the first person we meet is a priest. Priest is a character that you'd expect who would help this man. But he passes by on the other side of the road. This is partially understandable because the priests were concerned with ritual cleanliness. Most likely, this priest is going from Jericho to Jerusalem, where the temple is. He has some sort of religious ceremony to perform, and he does not want to become ritually unclean. He knows the rules, and the rules say if you touch a dead body, then you have to perform all sorts of purification rites, and you're ritually unclean for a set period of time. If he touched that body, if he helped this man, he wouldn't have been able to complete whatever task he was likely going to Jerusalem to perform. So, it's this part, though, of what Jesus is trying to speak about. Priests were people who were so concerned, like the lawyer, with all the rules and the regulations that they forgot how to be a neighbor. Hmm, interesting. Well, let's find out who we meet next on our trip, shall we? Moving along to verse 33. Or, sorry, to verse 32. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Uh, Levites were this particular group of people who were in charge of temple religious worship. Kind of like, oh, I have to be, you know, kind of like our sacristans. Um, our sacristans are very neighborly, though. But it's think of that idea, right? Like the person who, who knows all the rules, who has to set up everything for the rituals at the temple, who, who really is kind of in charge of the nuts and bolts of the religious life. This is what a Levite was. They're obviously a good choice of character by Jesus here. Someone similar to the priest, someone who knew all the rules, really cared about all the rules, made sure all of the liturgical elements were in order and cleanly organized and pressed, etc., etc. But they're so caught up in knowing all the rules and regulations that they've forgotten how to be a neighbor. 
and they passed by on the other side. Obviously, the Levite also was heading probably to Jerusalem to perform some sort of religious ritual, also knew that if you touch this guy on the road who's half dead, he'd be richly unclean, wouldn't be able to complete his task in Jerusalem. Almost the same type of character as the priest. Okay, looking at verse 33. At this point, we're getting set up for the punchline of the joke. In those days, before I even get to it, it was really common for people to tell stories in these like three-point parts. We even still do this today, right? A, a rabbi and a pastor walk into a bar. That's literally what Jesus is doing here. A priest and a Levite and, and the third person in the story is always you know, supposed to be the punchline, the one that you're supposed to admire, look up to, the one that really matters in this sequence and so that's what makes Jesus' words incredibly jarring and really, um, just really unexpected. So here we go. I'm going to read a few verses for you. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came upon him, and when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. He went to the man and bandaged his wounds, treating them with oil and wine, and then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I will repay you whatever you spent. Like I said, everyone would have expected the third character to be the hero in this story. Anyone hearing it. And people would have assumed that the third character, the hero, would have been an Israelite. This was the common cadence. A priest and a Levite and an Israelite. But Jesus turns it on its head. Jesus is challenging the petty differences that, that arise between Israelites and the clergy. He's challenging, or sorry, he's not challenging the petty differences between Israelites and clergy. That, again, would have been a common theme to a joke like this, parable like this. He's challenging the bigger longstanding hatred between Samaritans and Jews. The Samaritans were the enemy. They've been the enemy for thousands of years. They were really looked down upon by the Jewish people. And it's just so interesting. Again, when people are expecting the hero of the story to be an Israelite, for Jesus to go a step further and say, no, it's not just an Israelite, it's a Samaritan. That is really groundbreaking and jarring and something that people would not have expected. Samaritans themselves were considered to be unclean because they were descendants of a mixed marriage that occurred during the times of the Assyrians when they occupied the northern kingdom of Israel. That's just a fun little detail in case you were wondering. Um, but it's so funny that we have these characters, the Levite and the priest, who are so concerned about being unclean by touching this man on the side of the road, when along comes a man who everyone at that time, in, the, in Jew, every Jew at that time, would have considered unclean. But that's the hero of the story. Jesus' point is that community cannot be defined by stereotypes, that, that we have to move on from this and that this is actually God's hope for our life and our world. Okay, look at what Jesus says next in verse 36. He says to the lawyer, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And look at how the lawyer responds. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise should be noted that the lawyer refuses to even say the Samaritan. He does not want to acknowledge fully the point that Jesus is trying to make. That's how deep the prejudice was against the Samaritans. The one who showed him mercy, he said. The lawyer realizes that he's lost this chance to test Jesus, 
and he's been put in his place and he's probably kind of angry about what he's hearing. Um, so the lesson is also here though, in the way that Jesus responds, neighbors are not defined by where they come from or by their race or their religion or their tribe. They're defined by what they do. It's not about the rules. It's not about the regulations. It's about what you do. A neighbor is someone who shows mercy and compassion. In that first part of the conversation back in verse 25, 26, 27, Jesus says to the lawyer, do this and you will live. And here Jesus ends his parable by saying, go and do likewise. The emphasis is always on the action and specifically action that doesn't require reward or inheritance. The Samaritan doesn't receive a reward for his actions in the parable. Similarly, a neighbor doesn't receive a reward for showing mercy. That's not why you show mercy in order to get a a reward. It's simply just what you do. And so this whole story is about changing people's perspective. It's not just enough to know the religious rules. Frankly, that's secondary to just acting with compassion. I'm sure the Samaritan knew far less religious rules than the priest or the Levite or this good lawyer who's asking questions. But that's kind of Jesus's point. Treat your neighbor with love and compassion. That's what we must do. And simply do it because that's who you're called to be. So friends, there you go. Hopefully I gave you something new to think about with this age-old parable that's been in every Sunday school curriculum ever (laughs) and been preached upon thousands of times. Hopefully that's something new for you to think about. Again, we're just hoping to help people change their perspective this Lent, to think a little differently about long-held ideas or beliefs that we might have had or or stories that we've heard many times, just as a way uh, of re-examining and recognizing the rich history we have, the the gift we have as people of faith, that it can meet us in new ways every time we read it, every time we hear it. So uh, I hope you enjoyed this. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Feel free to share these with family and friends, especially during this Lenten season. People might be looking for some sort of Lenten resource. Pass these along. We'd love to have more people uh, finding the podcast and enjoying this content. But as always, thanks for listening. Stay in peace.